Hey, what's up, bar listeners? Before we get into this episode, want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by AGTV. That's right. The people that made the American Gospel documentary has come up with a streaming service app that's pretty much like Netflix for solid biblical content. Go to watch AGTV. Use the code BAR, the number one, to get 10% off the monthly rate. AGTV is so awesome. They also have our very own Just Thinking podcast on there. So you want to make sure you go to watchagtv.com. Use the code BAR, the number one, for 10% off. Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. the bar come on and pull up a seat and open up your bible what a wonderful feast the living bread and we're discussing what it means for the streets the inner cities and the burbs and every person we meet this is where we tell us worldviews that we hear from world news in light of the scripture we are here to serve you we're your source for resources to help you on your way as you battle mean forces this is for the people who can see the importance of sound theology and the scripture that support it and this is for the truth lovers biblically reforming preaching christ to the nations yeah welcome to the the Reformation, yeah. The bar, biblical and reformed. Welcome everybody to the bar. It's your boy and Wayne in the building. Right back in here, another Tuesday. Super excited as always to be bringing you your first podcast. And man, every week I like to start the show off with uh, thanking the listeners, man. Appreciate you guys uh, listening to the podcast, telling people about it, sharing it, liking it, all of that stuff, man. I'm super, super, super grateful for that. Um, and man, one thing that you can help me is let somebody know you're listening right now. Screenshot this show. Post it on your social media. Let somebody know that you're listening to The Bar, uh, as well as leave a review. Those are all great things you could do to help the show. And also, like I do every Tuesday, I bring in awesome guests. This is a repeat guest. Uh, we've had him on actually last year. Um, well, no, it was this year because we did it at the beginning of the year. I have on none other than Mr. Paul Maxwell. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great, man. How you doing, man? Uh, awesome, brother. Awesome, brother. Great to have you on, man. I still have people talking to me about uh, the show that we did, the Theo Fit deal. And, um, yeah. and, and you know, it was timely right at the beginning of the year. People, you know, making those promises again. And <laughs> <Yeah>. and uh, <laughs> we, we went full circle, man. We, we're right back here again. And yes, you have something different. But before we get into what you got going on now, I want you to do like a brief introduction for those that may have missed that show, who you are and, and anything you want to share. Personal, professional, I'll give you the floor to do that right here. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, relevant to your listeners, I'm just uh, I'm just a theology guy. I, uh, uh, I got my bachelor's in biblical languages at Moody Bible Institute, my MDiv at Westminster, my PhD in systematic theology with Kevin Van Hooser at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, wrote for Desiring God for a few years, taught philosophy at Moody Bible Institute for a few years. And uh, all that to say, I've been I've been thinking a lot about 
evangelicalism and theology for a long time. But on the side, I also did a lot of fitness stuff. And I knew that a lot of evangelicals, especially evangelical pastors who were a lot of my friends, kind of really struggled with fitness stuff. And that's kind of why I started Theofit was to start just a kind of a thing for pastors. And it grew into something bigger than that for people, just a really simple way to get started with getting in really, really good shape. In case it's not, it's not that complicated and getting in shape can definitely be hard, but it shouldn't be very complicated. So that's why I started Theofit. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of who I am. Uh, uh, you know, theology guy, was a prof for a few years, was a writer for a few years, and now I'm kind of doing my own thing with a few different things. So, yeah, that's who I am. Sweet, man, sweet. And speaking of the the new thing, man, um, you know, I love, I've been seeing your videos everywhere and and I'm loving the content, even, you know, got the podcast going. Tell the people about this new project, um, just kind of what led to it. And then uh, we'll start talking a little bit details after that. Yeah, absolutely. So this new project is called Selfwire. Why is it called Selfwire? Well, because for a long time, and especially with e- within evangelicalism, there is, you know, especially reformed evangelicalism, there's such a, a beautiful and big and grand view of God. And and it can it can tend to kind of bulldoze everything else so that we can neglect ourselves, we can start to not think too well or too excellently about how to improve ourselves. And that theology can kind of push a lot of other things that are important to the corners and even sometimes push it out of our lives altogether. So self-wire is an attempt it's a Christian attempt that to to gain a lot of those things that we've lost because of evangelical culture, because of pushing away so many other good parts of life and excellent possibilities within life, just because theology kind of begins to dominate everything. But of course, I am a theologian and I am a Christian and I do consider myself an evangelical. And so for that reason, I want to show a vision for the Christian life that can uh, uh, incorporate all of those beautiful elements that captivated us about a big God theology, about the Reformed theology, and at the same time help us to cultivate ourselves in a way that doesn't necessarily cultivate our narcissism or a self-obsession, but still allows us to think excellently about self-improvement. And so all of that's sort of a big way of saying what I try to do is I try to uh, investigate uh, or I, I, I try to think as well as I can about issues of theology and psychology and culture and politics from a Christian perspective in a way that is not encumbered by evangelical culture. Because while I'm sympathetic and I would identify myself with most of evangelical theology, I'm an orthodox confessional Christian, yet at the same time, Uh, I think the culture that it has produced has constrained us not to ask certain questions, not to speak certain ways. And in a sense, I hope to transgress those things, not transgress like transgression, like a sin, but to speak in a way that kind of draws outside the lines of evangelical culture, because I think that the culture itself can prevent us from asking the necessary questions and thinking the necessary ways about even theology itself. Uh, uh, And so that's what Selfwire is. It's a Christian approach to modern intellectual issues in a way that uh, kind of reclaims a lot of what evangelical alcoholism has lost unnecessarily i think nice that is a really good description um because i i saw i hear and i see what you're doing and to hear the way that you described it helps it makes a lot of make it a lot of sense um mm. because you know um I've, I've watched the videos i've even reposted some of the videos um and i like the fact that you are uh well i just call it just out of the box thinking you know because mm. you're running into that so much man and so um that that was that's a lot of clarity for me, man. I, that was a little light bulb went off right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you sharing it, man. That means, and I really appreciate you having me on the podcast, man. This is a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this conversation more. Yes, yeah, so. sir.
Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. So um, with self-wire, I mean, you kind of touched on it, um, you know, the the motivation and, and it's definitely needed. Um, we definitely need to get out of the, the rut or the routine of, you know, just because somebody else said it or somebody you respect said it, you know. So and I guess my question would be uh, and I kind of know the answer, but I want my listeners to hear what gives you the confidence and boldness to to stand up and say something about some of the stuff that, you know, is just kind of like a norm or, you know, everybody one person said it, then we all run in line with it. What what gives you that 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 courage and boldness to to be stand out like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh probably a couple answers to that question combined. Uh what um you know, I, I want to really give it a really good answer to this question because it's such a good question. Uh, because, because a lot of people speak boldly and write boldly about things, but you sense, uh, you, you sense sort of an incompetence behind their boldness or you sense kind of like an immature energy. I'll use an example because uh, I, so I want to answer your question, which is very good, which is what gives me that boldness, but I'll use an example of a kind of boldness that I'm trying to avoid. And I probably do fall into this sometimes, but an example of a kind of boldness I'm trying to avoid, for example, is this. Progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity, you know, Rachel Held Evans, like all that sort of left-leaning pedens kind of stuff, right? Now, I'm not saying everything, you know, that's a whole different conversation in themselves. Can, can we learn anything from them? But what I want to say is you get a lot of times with progressive Christians, they are instinctively transgressive, where they look at somebody like John Piper and Matt Chandler, reform culture, and they reject the whole thing because they reject right. basic tenets of Christianity, which are necessary to the constitution and integrity of, of, of our faith. And so, and so, but you see in them culturally, because just as well, uh, theology is important, but culture is also very important, the culture that a, a theology produces. And so you look at the progressive culture and what do you have? You have a lot of foul mouth language. You have a lot of uh, you, ha you have um, sort of a disdain for ideology, uh, a wariness of truth claims. Certainly there's no evangelism that goes on because there's almost no gospel to share. And so within progressivism, you have a kind of cultural transgressivism or people who are just trying to break rules just for the sake of breaking rules. And so what is at the heart of progressivism? What is at the, what is at the root of a movement that can contain somebody like Rachel Held Evans or some of these left-leaning, way out there, insane Christian feminists, right? What is that? It's anarchy. That is the foundation of that view. It is theological, ideological anarchism. And they, they, they may not say that, but essentially it is a, it is a, their posture is fundamentally corrosive. It is deconstructive. And so on the other hand, you have the other extreme of that, which is that evangelicalism and Christianity historically, especially among the Orthodox, has held this principle or has held this position, position is that they have been principled. There is a foundation, mm. which is why theologians will distinguish between foundationalism and post-foundationalism. Post-foundationalism being, well, we don't want to speak too dogmatically about the foundations of our faith because once we do, well, then we have to start making a bunch of other claims too, and we don't know how comfortable we are doing that. Whereas whereas evangelicals are, are very comfortable doing that. The problem is with having foundations, and we should have foundations, but the problem that, that the trouble that can get you in sometimes is you start to be blind to the ways in which your theology uh, has has actually extended beyond what your foundations uh, uh, legitimize. 
So, and that, that is the struggle of evangelicalism is you start perpetuating a culture where we have lost the distinction between the foundation itself, what the theologian Herman Bobbing calls the, the principia of our faith, which, which are God himself, his revelation in scripture and his, and his inner testimony to us in the Holy Spirit. Bavink calls that the God is the principium essendi, which is a Latin term. It's the principle of being, it's the foundation of being. And then you have scripture, which is the principium cognoscendi externum. It's the external cognitive principle of our religious certainty. So you have the principium ascendi, who is God, the principium cognoscendi externum, and then the principium cognoscendi internum, which is mm. the inner foundation of our certainty, of our religious certainty, which is, of course, God's God's testifying to us that what we read in scripture is true. And you have to have all those things to make claims of certainty. And so evangelical culture which it's it's almost an inevitable extension of a culture that has foundations. So I don't I I don't I don't want to critique evangelicalism for having foundations. We need them. But sometimes we lose the distinction between those principia and the theologies that we build on those principia. Mm. Right. And so what I'm kind of sensitive to is the socially constructed aspect of theology. Now, what I'm also sensitive to is I, I totally reject progressive Christianity, which which argues that the principia themselves are socially constructed, right? And I want to say, well, that's not true. God is real. He really speaks in scripture, and he really bears witness to us through his spirit that we are his children. But we also have to be sensitive. And this is the whole, the, the entire idea of Protestantism can be summarized by this principle is that God is right, and we could be wrong. And that brings, and that, that allows mm. us to have a, a humility about our theology. And, and in a sense, the confidence that that I have, I hope, in its best moments, in its worst moments, is just pure arrogance, right? And I certainly do, you know, anybody who strives for confidence will struggle with pride. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, we we also have to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, we when we deconstruct things, we deconstruct it to the toward the end of truth, unto truthfulness, unto truthful speech about God and the world. And that's the beauty of doing cultural analysis and evangelicals, because they have been fighting the truth wars for so long and, and, and have done so much for us with regard to those truth wars, right? You've got these guys who've, who have fought hard battles, and, and we are reaping the benefits of those battles. Guys like Piper and all of those guys and, and MacArthur and all of those guys have been fighting wonderful battles for us for so long, and we are reaping the benefits of those. But at the same time, we have to be sensitive. You know, these are human beings speaking, so we should still be tinkering with it. We should still be willing to transgress the cultural norm at, while at the same time appreciating the, 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 the necessity of these norms and the necessity of what they're trying to get at. So um, what does that mean? It means that evangelicals exist together in a common product of trying to live uh, as excellently a Christian life as they can and to construct as excellent and as excellent a Christian system as they possibly can. And yet at the same time to be sensitive to the human aspects, the humanity of theology and the humanity of evangelical culture. And so I think I have confidence moving forward in that direction for a couple of reasons. One, coming into evangelicalism, I'm a bit of an outsider because I think I probably identify most closely in terms of my history of education with Westminster, just because they've get, they've really taught me how to think in a reformed way, and and reformed guys, especially sort of those Presbyterian guys, they always tend to be somewhat critical of evangelicalism 
from the perspective also of appreciating truth. And so, so I think I kind of got that bug of looking at evangelical culture and like, uh, I don't know, kind of tinkering with it a little <laughs> bit, like being a little suspicious of it. Uh, and then on the other hand, I spent most of my time at Westminster as a research assistant for David Pallison and Ed Welch working for CCEF. And they gave me really a bug for psychology. And I ended up writing my dissertation on the relationship between reformed theology and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders. So I've always <laughs> been, uh, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a licensed counselor, but all my doctoral work and a lot of my master's work was in-depth uh, psychology research alongside my theological research. So I've always had an appreciation for the natural sciences and, and well, psychology is not a natural science, it's a social science, but I've always had an appreciation for the sciences in a way that allows me to kind of think in a way that a lot of evangelicals would deem secular. And if you look at people who critique my videos, one of the most common claims is there's no scripture in that. And my response <laughs> to that is, yeah, yeah, right. That you don't need a Bible verse for everything. You don't, and, and, and a lot of that comes out of my, yes, my appreciation for social sciences, but I, I draw an analogy between a lot of the social issues we face, psychologically speaking, and fitness. I don't have a Bible verse for anything I do with regard to fitness. I see harmonies between the teachings of scripture about discipline and the discipline required to do something like fitness. Of course, we live in God's world and the God who inspired the text of scripture is also the God who created the world in which things like fitness are possible. So there are going to be harmonies. And so I don't ever expect to find anything in the natural world which contradicts scripture. But on the other hand, I think a lot of evangelicals simply don't know how to think outside the text. They don't know how to do it, and they don't know how to speak dogmatically or make truth claims in a way that's not tied back to a Bible verse. And so because of that, they're always going to be encumbered by the methodology of exegesis. The problem is that exegesis is so bogged down by tradition, as it should be, because the tradition is a gift to us, that their, coming, their thinking process and their coming to realize certain things will be much slower than somebody who simply says, yeah, we can learn things from the book of nature. We can look at the world and understand it and simply expect those harmonies to exist rather than having to justify every scientific claim directly with a Bible verse. So I think that's what kind of gives me the confidence is, is I'm agile with the social sciences and I come from a reformed worldview. So I'm seeking truth. I'm not deconstructive. I'm not, an, I'm not a theological anarchist. Anarchist, like I think the progressive Christians are, but I'm sensitive to the, the to the human aspects, even of the, our best theology. And so I'm trying to walk that middle ground, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's legit, man. That's legit, and it's evident, um, you know, in in the way that you your your videos and and in each show, you know, I listen to a couple, and it's evident, man, that that you you're it's almost like you're bringing, uh, I guess, common sense to you know, some of that, uh, I guess sometimes, uh, dogmatic theology and, 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 and you, like you say, you don't necessarily always quote a verse, you know, that's, that's right. legit, you know, I, that, I mean, I get it. Yeah. And I kind of get that from, you know, it was actually listening to an episode of doctrine and devotion of doc and Devo, where they did an episode on two kingdom theology. Like it might've even been like a year ago or something like that. Right. But they, they did an episode on 2k theology and it was actually listening to that episode, which is, which is, I thought a really great and concise explanation of the 2k view before that I had always taken a reformed perspective on the relationship between nature and grace, which is, which is essentially that human nature is utterly depraved and any commonalities, which we trace in the world can be reduced to a common grace as it pertains to the human mind. And so Calvin's view of the role of natural law is very small compared to Luther, certainly compared to Roman Catholicism, which operates with a strict, you know, a strict division uh, mm -hmm. between nature and grace coming from Thomas Aquinas in which, you know, grace is the realm of the spiritual and, 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 and nature is the realm of the natural. And we need, um, 
almost spiritual technologies to overcome our natural selves. And to the, to the point where even in Roman Catholic theology, essentially you have to come to the absurd conclusion that being, being fine, we are essentially we're culpable for being finite. And that mm. comes out in their conception of nature, right? That's how Roman Catholics explain why evil exists is that it's simply a metaphysical lack. It is a simply being evil is being more finite and being good is being more actual. And then you, you imitate the God who's pure act, right? And the more you actualize your potential as a human being considered along Thomas Aquinas's conception of the Aristotelian conception of substance, the more you actualize yourself, the more you overcome, not overcome your finitude, but more you realize God's gracious gift of the spirit to overcome what it is an irrevocable aspect of simply being human and so you get that a little bit in Calvin. You get that a little bit where there's this, there's. A, but for Calvin, what makes it not what 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 makes what makes human nature so difficult to overcome isn't your isn't simply your finitude, but your moral corruption, your total depravity, right? His exhaustive conception of, mm. of the extent of depravity, and I think you. The thing is, and so he applies that, and so he says, well, he has a smaller view of nature, and he he accounts for more of the commonalities in the world. So you look at somebody like a like an atheist who's also a Navy SEAL, right? Well, how can let's say he's very brave and strong and disciplined and a good man and virtuous. Well, how can you account as a Calvinist? for that well is it natural law is it nature and an atomistic conception calvin would say well that's common grace and you know i don't know i i, I think that there's there's something there i think that that the two kingdom way of talking about it probably is better because it dignifies the realm of nature more than I don't know if it dignifies it more than Calvin does, but it certainly dignifies it more than Calvinism does, because Calvinism tends to push out the realm of nature and minimize it so much because they're scared of Roman Catholicism. And I think Roman Catholicism doesn't work, of course. But there, I, what I do like about the 2K model is that it allows us to be reformed. It allows us to conceive of an exhaustive sense of total depravity and still retain a notion of the sovereignty of God. And yet have a, a magnified view of the realm of nature so that we can look at, again, like the atheist Navy SEAL and say, well, it's, it, uh, you know, there's a sense in which God's spirit upholds everything and therefore upholds this man. And yet there's also a sense in which his goodness and his value as a man can be contributed to his utilization of natural principles, not merely common grace, but there are universal natural principles which operate in the world, which Christians can look at and dignify and say, you know what, we can learn a lot about how the world works, even without looking at scripture, and even still admitting that, listen, scripture is God's word, the realm of nature is not, scripture is God's ordained tool by which he enlivens our spirits, you know, uh, and is the appropriate tool by which, it's the lens through which we're supposed to interpret the book of nature, but I've really been helped by that, thinking about disciplines like psychology and sociology as, as insights into human nature and insights into the ways that human beings work that you're not going to necessarily get explicitly from the Bible. And if you look at it through the realm of common grace, if you look at it, if you look at the world and the commonalities of the world and the goodness of the world, what we would call the universal principles of being, if you would look at those things simply through a Calvinistic lens, I don't, com, the, the problem with common, the doctrine of common grace taking over the task of the concept of natural law is that for Calvin, common grace has no particular um, rhyme or reason. So, so it's not predictable, right? Common grace will make one man a pretty good guy and it will make another man a really good guy. Mm. And so there's not, it's, it's sort of rigid in its outcome and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Whereas the natural law allows us to posit universal constants, 
principles that are smooth. It allows us to, uh, a positive smoothness to the way the world works that allows us to rely upon them to be true. And you see this in the book of Proverbs because we say, well, how is Proverbs, you know, how, how can the book of Proverbs be true? Because it's, it speaks in all of these ideal ways, which clearly aren't true in the real world, right? Raise up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Wrong, right? Certainly children who are raised well, even, even by the best parents, you know? Well, well, how can that verse be true? It's representing the theonomic ideal. In God's world, it, it is essentially, Proverbs communicates the world as God intended it if Adam had succeeded in probation. And essentially, it, it, it reveals to us the Edenic playbook. What, what is true of the world beneath the consequences of the fall? And of course, more than that too, right? Like a fool says, there's a lion in the street. And so that's his reason for not going out and working for the day, right? So, so it talks about fallen realities too, but Proverbs essentially attempts to do the same thing that secular psychology does. Of course, the book of Proverbs is, is inspired. And so in that sense, it's different from psychology, but Proverbs gives us the theonomic ideal for the world. And I think in that sense, we can say that Proverbs dignifies the concept of natural law and in a sense works better for our ability to go out into the world and say, we don't need a Bible verse for everything. Proverbs sort of licenses us to take that perspective out into the world and say, yes, that's true. Now, at the same time, we should expect there, these truths of the book of nature and the book of scripture to harmonize again, because Christ is Lord of all. And, and John Frame does an excellent job at emphasizing this, but that's kind of my theological rationale for having the methodological approach that I do that allows me to listen to voices that we might otherwise not listen to. So for example, I hear some people, you know, especially in this conversation about race, right? You know, a lot of the leading uh, uh, people who are talking about race and evangelicalism, a, a lot of the a lot of the most profound thinkers on both sides of the table are are not Christians, right? So you have people who are benefiting on one side of the table greatly from Tainik Nahishi Coates, and on the other side of the table you have somebody people benefiting greatly from Ben Shapiro. I don't think either side should be criticizing the other for listening to somebody just because the the, the leading authority or maybe a, a maybe a uh, you know a figurehead of a particular perspective isn't a Christian. Okay. Fine, then leave it to each Christian to to according to his conscience and his ability, you know, like you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like it's okay, it's okay. Mm. We can learn from these people. So making criticisms with like, why are you listening to the Jordan Peterson? He's not even a Christian. Dude, I don't know. My account, my tax guy's not a Christian either. But like, you know, <laughs> I listen to his advice. Right. So so and and you can take that to an extreme too, and you can, that that can some people have such an insensitivity to the necessity of looking at the world through a Christian perspective that they become, um, they fall prey to certain secular scripts to which they ought not to fall prey and they need to be more discerning. Right. But on the other hand, uh, it's about, it's all about balance. And we need to, we need to, on the one hand, have a Christian worldview. And on the other hand, we ought to uh, 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 be sensitive to uh, secular truths. That's all the, that's all secular means. Secular comes from the Latin word seculare, which just means the world. And so we just need to be able to look at the world and recognize there are things we can learn there that maybe aren't straightforwardly and explicitly taught in scripture. And if once you're sensitive to that, you're able to sort of pierce the veil of evangelical culture and allows you to kind of deconstruct what's human and get back to the principium that Bobbing talks about and say, okay, let's, we don't, we don't want to have to reinvent the wheel but we also want to be able to dispense with things that aren't necessarily entailed by the teaching of scripture. So anyway, I've been rambling a lot for a long time. So <laughs> but, I really apologize. No, but, you're fine. 
Yeah, man, you're fine because it's it's all like good good stuff, man. Like I'm just listening. I wish I had my notepad. It's it's really good stuff. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, good. I'm gonna take a break right here. We're gonna take a quick break okay. right here, and we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the host of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all ask, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. All right, we're back and here with my man Paul. Paul has that all the way on switch. He's getting going, and we got like the Energizer <laughs> Bunny. But I love it. It's all good stuff. So it, it could be bad, Paul. Like I've had, I'm not, well, you know, I'm not going to say that, but I've had conversations <laughs> where it was long winded and yeah. yeah, it was not as yeah. beneficial. But uh, <laughs> on the second half, Paul, you know, we usually do the, uh, the, 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 the bar signature questions. You answered them before. So I'm not going to ask you again, but I want to get into some more uh, questions that are a little bit more, I guess, light or fun. Um, okay. Or, you know, just not as, not as deep. So you can take that sure. hat off and, and sit it to the side. But uh, okay. I, I, my <laughs> next question yeah. is, <laughs> my next question is, um, you know, with the whole uh, self-wire thing, you know, I, I notice, you know, I'm 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 a student of the game when it comes to podcasting, you know, mm. strategy and all of that. And so I've watched your moves, man. Very, very, very meticulous. You know, your videos, your posts. Um, uh, is that does that come with any kind of experience or is this something you're experimenting with? What what? framework or, or where do you get the inspiration to to go about this the way that you're doing because you're going hard i mean you yeah. make me want to post extra i'll be like let, yeah. let, i need to get something <laughs> out there paul got something else there's another yeah, yeah. video but yeah, yeah talk about that a little bit man just your, your mindset and yeah. and your strategy on on this project yeah and you know so I'll, I'll give you my ideal for what i'm striving to do and once you have my ideal i think you'll you'll be able to look at what i do and say oh okay i see how he could maybe not be accomplishing this in every episode but how he's striving for this right my right. my goal is to teach somebody something in every episode which is a pretty modest goal until you really try to do something like that so i i, I would actually say i have two goals my goal is to teach people something valuable every single episode. And my goal is to release daily content. So, you know, uh, in terms of weekdays, so Monday through Friday, right? And so, so that's, those are my two goals that are driving everything right now. So I want that in, I want my um, teaching of people, teaching concepts to people, teaching ways of thinking to people. I want, I want that to be valuable to people. I want people to walk away without a totally deconstructed theology, which is easy to do, but I want, I want people to take something positive away. So for example, I'm doing multiple series right now. I'm doing one series on, um, on Christian mystery, right? And it allows us to a lot of times when you explore theology, you're trying to make sense of things and you ought to try to make sense of things. But on the other hand, you know, we have a, an appreciation for Christian mystery. And, and that's, I think what's lacking in a lot of Christian podcasts is actually teaching people things. Mm. Uh, uh, we're, we're talking, we're asking questions. What do we know? What's out there? You know, and, and we're listening to this guy's perspective, listening to that guy's perspective, dissing that guy, critiquing that guy. So for example, the other day I released this video on David, you know, saying, you know, but, but my uh, argument. Yeah. Yeah. Did you no, watch that video? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wait, that's, that's next. Oh, okay. Okay. I, okay. I, I won't go, I won't use that video then, but, yeah. but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, 
so that's all I'm trying to do. When I think gotcha. a lot of Christian podcasts, people listen to it and it's like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's one of the things I find so valuable about Doc and Devo is that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of wit and there's a lot of banter, but they're always really trying to add value to a particular conversation. And especially their exposition of the of the 1689, hugely helpful. Where is anything else like that out there? So they're, what they're doing is they're pri- they're trying to provide things with genuine utility. And in, I'm sorry, I'm kind of... I didn't really take that hat off, hat off Dwayne. I, 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 I don't know if I, I can take the hat off. I think it's <laughs> my head. But, but, but uh, you know, but uh, uh, in, in philosophy, there's a distinction between uh, two schools, between idealism and pragmatism. And of course, you can kind of tell from the names that idealism always seeks kind of like pure truth, where pragmatism is try, basically trying to figure out what works. And I think evangelicals should try to embody both of those things, of course, because they want that they, but I think that in pursuing the ideal and purifying our theology, we've lost a sensitivity for what is truly practical, for what is truly utile or what has utility for us. And so I'm trying to retrieve and uh, revivify within evangelicalism. It's a, an appreciation for theological utility rather than merely theological idealism. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and I try to do that, but again, you know, it, it kind of comes down to the same principles of fitness, right? It's like daily content. What does that look like? Sometimes it looks like 7 PM and I'm not, I don't even like, I got to write something and film it and edit it and upload it. You know what I mean? So, so sometimes I really don't like it, but um, I think that when you have a habit streak and you, and you, the more you succeed in that streak and the longer that streak gets, the, the more motivated you are to keep that streak going. So I think if, if for future podcasters out there, I would just say, Hey guy, like, you know, um, and you you do this, Dwayne. You you are a facilitator of conversations. You bring people together that all add value, which is very beneficial. Few podcasts do this. Few podcasts do what you're doing, and what Doc Devo is doing, and uh, I hope what I strive to do, which is that let's add value. So when you when you ha- have a podcast, you have it in your mind. This is what I hope people really get out of it, and and exactly. really have something utile in mind, not just well. I hope they're more aware of the conversation. Awareness. <laughs> awareness i don't know don't do that you know uh, uh have a particular concept a particular practice something in mind for every episode and that, sometimes that's not always feasible sometimes people like to listen to things just for the because it's fun uh and there are certainly podcasts for that but usually i find people are attracted to my podcast because they're like hmm this changed my way of thinking this taught me something and that's the standard to which i hold myself and i think people who listen to the podcast will see i don't achieve that in every episode but it's what i strive for so and right. and then of course that the other side of that being the daily content it's just sometimes it's just a grind and uh i don't like it but you know you know you know how it is you just, you oh, just yeah. gotta show up so yeah yes sir no that's that's legit man and i like how yep. you you full circled and you know you, you jabbed me first just like man they just asking questions i was like wait a minute you talk about me then you no, 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 no. oh man i oh, just kidding oh, man just oh, kidding man. so uh you try you almost stole my last question okay we got out of here man because uh uh jimmy uh he is synonymous for just calling me at just odd moments oh my goodness and and, and saying just odd stuff yep and at all times of day and yep. so jimmy was like yo Dwayne, did you hear paul today man he was talking about that <laughs> uh 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 you you are david did you watch that? i was like bro bro so first chill out man hold on <laughs> let me let me finish sipping my coffee i'm in the break room give oh, me a man. second 
So let, let's talk about that a little bit, man. Um, yeah. Just kind of on the fun side. Don't yeah. don't, go, don't get too hardcore okay. on me. I really try. Really <laughs> yeah. But but because because I actually created a uh, a gift, uh, one of those you know little video repeat when he mm-hmm. said you're not David. I actually created one of those, and you know it's it floating through Facebook. So now I, I gotta see. like pull it back, man, because you, you busted my bubble. But <laughs> talk about the little Matt Chandler. Uh, you know you're not David. Uh, just. Like I said, try not to go too hardcore, okay, but just okay, a little okay. brief before we get out of here. What, All right, what was I, that about? I won't go too hardcore. You know what I'll say is I basically just created a video where you, you of course, are supposed to identify with David because what that's one of the points of the Old Testament narratives. That's why they were written. We can never lose a sensitivity for the original context, and I promise I'm not getting deep. I'm just going to make a little statement that <laughs> that I'm going to say the original context of that narrative was to get not o- not only to supply israel with a sense of messianic hope for the for a, a future uh, uh, figure who would fulfill and and bring to culmination the office of david but also as an example and an encouragement for uh, and because listen uh, we think about what is the grammatic, what is the grammatical historical meaning of a text? It has to do not only with the authorship of narrative, especially with narrative text. It has to do not only with the author of the text, but with the redactors of the text. The, te- the, the process of redaction, which is the the evolution of a text throughout its throughout its construction, right? So the psalm, how did the psalter, how was the psalter constructed? How did you get all 150 of those in there? Well, there was a redactor. And we have to say, just as each of the psalms were inspired, so he who chose the final collection of those psalms was inspired to make that choice and god you know so 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 redaction history uh, adds a layer of meaning right and so in the same way that the grammatical historical context of a text is the author's intent so also is the redactor's intent and so we have to say that clearly the purpose of that davidic narrative was to encourage uh, and, and to give courage to the men of Israel in Babylonian exile five or 600 years later and under Babylon and under Rome and under Greece, or sorry, ba- under Babylon and under Greece and under Rome. And of course, to Christians also to morally instruct them in the way of courage and the way of masculinity and the way of bravery. And so so, so my, my point was simply to retrieve the reformed notion that the texts of scripture are morally instructive for Christians, which is, of course, a clear view of Calvin's in the Reformed traditions, not so much of Lutheranism, which holds that that moral instruction only serves as a law to condemn from which Christ saves us. So the Reformed tradition has that third sense of the law, that third use of the law. So I I was just going to create a video on that. Then Jimmy <laughs> texts me. He's like, bro, you should, you should. Cause, so I didn't have Chandler in mind at all. I actually mm-hmm. didn't even know Chandler preached that sermon. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know Chandler was the one who started that when I released the video. And and I just had heard people say it. And yeah. I was like, well, that's not true. And of course, let me just say one more thing. Of course, you're not David in one sense. And in that sense, Chandler's correct. And in another sense, mm-hmm. you are David. So the point isn't that mm-hmm. you are David and that's all there is to the text. Of course, Christ fulfills all of scripture. And you look at the book of Matthew, Christ goes here, he goes there, he goes to Zebulun, he goes to all these different places. Why? To fulfill scripture. John says, I'm not baptizing right. you. Christ says, you have to fulfill scripture. So you baptize me. And then so, so of course, Christ fulfills so, uh, so much, of, well, he fulfills all of the Old Testament, Romans 10, 4. But uh, Jimmy texts me and he's like, bro, 
you should uh, you should tweet Chandler. You should you should tag him in Twitter. And I was like, I'm not tagging Matt Chandler. I'm not going to be a troll. I get trolled all the time. I hate it. I hate calling right. people out. I hate that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be that guy, man. I hate being that guy. You look at those guys on the internet. You're like, dude, get a life, get a job, get get a girlfriend, you know, whatever. Uh, and right. then and then so so eventually. Jimmy was just like, come on, bro. Were you scared? I was like, no, all right, I'll do it. So I just did it. I, I was like, you know, I probably could have tweeted a better tweet, but I was like, yeah. So Matt Chandler told you, apparently, I, I had learned that you're not David. Uh, turns out, you know, you you are David if you're if you're reformed, if you take a reformed view of the text. Matt Chandler ends up retweeting it, saying, hey, Paul, <laughs> you know what? You're right. I've ever since that video went viral, I, I thought I overspoke. So mm-hmm. and I never knew how wow. to I never knew how to address it until you made this video. Thanks for making it. Here's my opportunity to say something. Boom. Wow. I, was like, I, was, I was so humble. I was so, I was oh oh what did he say? He's like he still wants that rose though. That's also what Chandler said. What, <laughs> which which I thought was a super witty tweet and of course meaning that referring to his sermon where he says mm-hmm. there's a whole evangelical culture that says that if you're you know have a sexual past God doesn't want you and of course God does want to redeem you from the, even the worst past. I completely agree with that. I I right. wasn't even trying to step into critiquing Chandler's corpus of thought. I was just, you know, I didn't even <laughs> do the thing with Chandler in mind. So I thought it was, I was like, wow. That's that so is nice cool. But part of me wonders if Chandler knew that by doing that, I would get trolled by his people. Not, <laughs> not as, not as a critique of Chandler. If, if that was his intent, I think it was brilliant because that's exactly what happened. And, right. uh, and so I got like one exactly 1 billion uh you know emails and tweets and mm-hmm, dude what are you mm-hmm. talking about don't you know you're wrong you're, and mm-hmm, i just so mm-hmm. many things and the big irony of ironies about all of that is that people defending chandler's original sermon don't realize dude chandler literally just said right that he overspoke right. and so, i know you got it look i know you got a screenshot it so just make that an auto respond man we already talked about <laughs> yes yeah, yeah right yeah <laughs> no, that's a good point that's another one yeah we had that twitter combo about yeah auto- yeah. But but it was one of those things where I thought it was so uh so uh humble of Chandler and it was really oh, that honor- was dope. honoring to me. I felt so honored that he would take the time to respond um in that way and actually say, you know, this whole time. And this this I it felt it felt kind of weird because I was like, man, there's this whole culture of saying that you're not David mm-hmm. based on Chandler. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mm-hmm. attempt to undo it, right. but I think I, I think it kind of got undone. And so I I uh it. yeah, it was pretty cool. So so that was a lot of fun and I yeah. I, that, I respect Matt Chandler a ton. I've benefited so much from his preaching and everything like that. So, so um, leave it yeah. to Jimmy to cause some trouble, man. Just Dude, leave it to yeah. Jimmy. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the one time I troll, it was because Jimmy, you know, gave me yeah. advice and it works. So, yeah, yeah. hopefully yeah. that doesn't fortify any bad behaviors. <laughs> I try not to learn too much bad behaviors from Jimmy, but you know, uh, it's hard. Yeah, I know. I can yeah. only imagine. But uh, man, Paul, I really, <laughs> really enjoyed this, man. And you know, this is a great conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I was glad I was able to make it happen, um, and uh, and get this to my folks, man. Um, and, and I'm I'm just gonna ahead and close it out, man, because you you dropped a lot of bombs, and I know okay. you got something else coming up. So to the bar listeners, make sure you guys check us out every Tuesday. Favorite podcast. Make sure you check out Paul, man. Um, subscribe to the podcast, watch the video, subscribe to the YouTube, uh, and all of that good stuff, man. And Paul, man, thank you again. I'll be seeing you at the Doc and Devo conference for sure, and I can't yep. wait to meet you there, brother. Can't wait to see you, bro. So Thanks for the- having me on. Yes, sir. All right, listeners. God bless you guys. Until next time, we out.
What's up, bar listeners? It's finally here, the bar exclusive content. Yes, that's right. You can sign up to receive exclusive content as low as $2 a week or $5 a month, $50 for the year to get exclusive content. What is the exclusive content? I'm glad you asked. The exclusive content is additional information from my guests, extra time with them in like the green moon setting, laid back, them asking me questions, I ask them questions, and also the Facebook group. You get a invitation to the Facebook group where we will have discount codes for the bar gear and many many more make sure you sign up the links in the show notes join the vip inside the bar group and we'll see you there